Hello, everyone. Welcome to Equity Evolution. We are your hosts, Dana and Alexandria. We invite you to join us as we journey through the lush landscape of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Have you ever wondered how DEIB intertwines like the roots of ancient trees in making businesses successful? You're not the only one. From big concepts to intricate specifics, we've got the map to navigate you through. So nestle in your favorite spot and explore the DEIB ecosystem with us. As we navigate the world of DEIB, it's about exploring curiosity, evolving understanding, and evaluating through action. Let's begin. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Equity Evolution. I'm back with Alexandria here and myself. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, what it looks like with building out your or developing your ideal DEI um, leader. Um, and we're going to do an exercise, which essentially Alexandria is going to walk me through, ask me some questions, and we're just going to make it conversational, make it uh, as something you can look for or look out for when you're when you're building a leader or a DEI leader. Um, but try and make it as um, as clear as possible, I guess we can say. Yeah, absolutely. So for a little bit more framing, this is an actual exercise that we walk our clients through. So a common thing that people come to us for is they are trying to figure out the most equitable way to present positions. So this can be used when you are trying to figure out what a job description is and even what your scorecard is for hiring, what it is that you're looking for. It's something that we recommend you always have. You should have a very specific hiring process that everybody follows so that you are reducing bias as much as possible. That is something that we can walk you through as well, but this is just going to be a portion of what we do with specific positions. Uh, the specific position that we're talking about today is a ideal DEI leader. And so I'm going to walk Dana through really defining what an ideal DEI leader would look like so that you could then create your scorecard so that when you're going through resumes, you're going through interviews, you know what it is that you're looking for and you're not making that hiring decision based on, yeah, that felt good. Don't do that. Please stop doing that. Absolutely not. You want somebody who is qualified for the position, will meet the needs that you have for the position, and that you have been unfront, upfront, excuse me, and transparent about the expectations of the position. So everybody is opting in to the exact position that you have available. Yeah. You have any you thoughts you want to share before? Six interviews before you make a decision. Yeah, we could do like a whole, we have done an episode on hiring practices. I encourage you to go listen to that, but there could be like five other episodes that could be done on hiring practices. So, uh, but let's go ahead and get into today. Uh, so we're, you're going to see kind of a role play situation. So to start it out, Dana, help me understand what an ideal DEI leader would look like in your organization. Yeah. So for me, um, I foresee someone with, um, obviously a clear understanding with what DEI means to them. It's one thing to understand what DEI means for the company, which someone will learn over time. Uh, and they'll probably learn during parts of the interview process, but understand, having a clear understanding what it means for them will kind of help partner with what it means for the company. So that's one thing. 
The second thing is pause on that one for just a second, because I think that there's some some things in there that I'd want to expand on. So you're in the interview process with somebody. How would you know that they have a clear understanding or kind of that clear why behind their DEI vision for themselves? Yeah, for me, it would be the passion. Like how how passionate are they when they're talking about it? Um, We just talked about uh, in the previous um the previous episode about like communication and how people like, so those social cues, like, you know, so I think the passion, I, you could clearly see when someone's passionate about what they're talking about um, and backing it up with uh, some points that they've had, like, you know, past experiences um, and, and, and also uh, I lost the, the last part that I want to say. So social points, <laughs> backing it up in passion, but also um, uh, the growth uh, part, where they want to grow with what they, how, how they are as a DEI leader. Okay. So some good points. It sounds like they present as passionate. They have an understanding that they can point to specific experiences and things that they have maybe done in the past. And then they also have kind of this they are projecting a desire to continue to learn. So that could be presented in a couple of different ways, but they're communicating that they have a desire to keep growing in the field. Is that accurate? So I want to go back to the passion piece, just because that one, I would push back with a client and say, yeah, that's, that's more subjective than it is objective. Mm -hmm. So if we have a hiring team that we want all on the same page what is the definition of passion that we're looking for? How would anybody know what passion actually looks like coming from somebody? What are the behaviors that we're looking for there? Yeah, um, you know, for me, it's the immediately uh, willingness to jump in. Um, I've A lot of companies say, which, you know, I know we talk about uh, uh, pulling up by your bootstraps or hitting the ground running Mm -hmm. um a lot of companies say that um and and that shouldn't always be the case like you know people shouldn't be thrown to the wolves but for me the passion that passion looks like you know doing those things ready to jump in um uh, offering ideas uh while learning um and then listening as well to learn uh that's what you know a couple of things for passion for Mm -hmm. me looks like uh, when it comes to the leader. So that sounds like passion that you would potentially see showing up outside of an interview. So potentially for like an internal candidate that you were looking for, you would have access to that. Mm-hmm. What about in an interview setting? How would I know if the person sitting in front of me was passionate about the topic? What what would be the things that I was seeing or hearing that might tell me that they're really passionate about this? That's a good question. I think I'm thinking about like interviews I've had. So when I've been passionate about something, I dig and ask a lot more questions. Mm. So, and then I also regurgitate like something they've said to me to kind of get clarification and mm. understanding to get gain more understanding. Um, so, and I, I would hope that that comes off as passionate to the person I'm interviewing with. But um, so questions, uh, listening and just, you know, talking back to the person to get more understanding um, in an interview and 
um, offering up like a solution that I may have had similar situations in, in the past for mm -hmm. me. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And so if this was a real situation, we would have a panel of people in this conversation and we would get that same kind of definition from everybody who's on the hiring committee or would potentially be so that we can actually craft a full definition of what passion would actually look like. Because Dana, you just highlighted something that's, it looks to me like asking a lot of questions. For somebody else, it may just be like this visible excitement, like they lean forward in their chair. For yeah. somebody else, it could be they have a lot of knowledge that they're willing to share about it. So being able to get a wide definition of what those subject or those subjective words actually mean, then you have a collaborative definition and you're much less likely to have bias show up in the interview process because you've had diverse thought go into the way you're defining it in the first place. Uh, so that is the purpose behind asking those deeper questions. What does that actually look like? Uh, so if we were to keep going and expand out a little bit further. All right. So this DEI leader, they have shown us that they're passionate about DEI. They want to grow in DEI and they've got the experience to back what they're coming in with the vision that they're bringing. What else are we looking for in a DEI leader? Yeah. So for me, the human element and the human aspect is important, which means being approachable um, and uh, approachable in a way that if we are in an interview, then I should be able to ask and get an understanding of background, or I should be able to uh, get a clear, get clear knowledge on how you are in the workspace as this DEI leader. Um, and when you're in the team setting, uh, no one should feel like you are untouchable. And if that makes sense, um, and, and if it doesn't meaning I should not be, I should be able to contact you or reach out to you if I need additional support. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the human element I, I, I feel like is important. So what I'm hearing is you want everybody on the team, regardless of position or history or any of those things, you want everybody within the company to feel like this is a person that they could go to and communicate with. Uh -huh. Okay. So what would that look like? How would you know if somebody was able to be perceived as approachable? With the caveat of you can't please everybody, there's a yeah. lot of nuances to approachability, there's a lot of bias in approachability, but just kind of like, what would that look like to, if we had an alien come down to earth and just watch, what would approachable look like? Yeah, um, I guess it's just, you know, attitude, like um, how, like how, how you speak to someone, like, hey, how are you, you know? How are things going? Do you need any support? Um, and that could be, even though that portion is when, the, if their person is already hired, but in an interview setting, um, it's, it's the showing initiative of uh, asking, you know, if I was on the team, how would you want me to support you in that? Or um, in my past, the way I've supported teams in this situation, uh, this is what I've done. Would that be something that you all, would that be helpful for your team? Mm -hmm. um, and and then, and honestly, also from the time they start that interview, you can gauge um, 
if they're putting on or not because they'll be you'll ask something and you can already see you'll be able to see if oh this is this is a unfavorable question because of how the the energy of the mood of the person has changed so when let's define that a little bit more specifically because not everybody's empathetic perception is as yes. honed or um, emotional intelligence is as honed so what would that change potentially look or sound like? Yeah. So let's say, for instance, you've asked this person. Um, so tell me about your 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 previous uh, work, your previous workplace. And obviously, we don't know what happened, and they're going to tell us what they're going to tell us. But if they were super energetic, and you know, we're smiling, we're having a conversation, things are great, and then automatically they pull back, and they're like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I worked at such and such. Uh, things didn't really go well. Um, I did this as a performance and, you know, they go on to kind of divert from answering the question. It's that 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 excitement to then the pullback to then, you know, how they decide to answer the question to me would be a cue of this is maybe not a favorable question or this the um the experience that was had at this place was not the best. Yeah, so that's interesting that you're perceiving it as not a good experience at the place, but in the framing of the question we initially talked about was a, a performance in an interview, almost like they're telling us they can do a thing, but they may not be successful at doing the thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing is there would be a visible like body language change. They may have been leaning forward and upbeat, and now they have like, withdrawn and their tone potentially changed. They're maybe speaking a little bit slower is what I mm -hmm. heard you say. Uh, so you can tell that their shift occurred. Mm -hmm. What would you do after that? Like, let's say you perceived the shift occurring. What would be next there? Yeah, me as the interviewer would definitely, um, oh, I think for me as an interviewer, I would still, I would kind of ask a follow-up question of, you know, okay, it sounds like um, this is what you did there. Um, and usually after that question is, is like, you know, tell me about a time where you worked with people who definitely wasn't, uh, it was like, tell me about a time you worked with someone where it was challenging or something like that. So I think for me, that would be a type of question that I will follow up with uh, to kind of gauge a little bit more of an understanding of um, what's going on or what has happened in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so then that way I can still kind of gauge of the approachable, the human aspect of, you know, what happened? How do we get to wherever this person is uh, with this place? So. Mm -hmm. So it seems like that would be a situation that could be a rife possibility for bias or stories or assumptions to show up. Uh, and like, it sounds like to me what you would do in that situation is ask more questions to get more information yeah. about it. And mm -hmm. the thing that if we were having this conversation with a client that I would recommend for them doing here is notating those things specifically. What did they ask? What did they notice? And what story did they tell about it? 
And then you would go back to the panel to have a discussion about perception and what else might be there. Because yeah. we have a huge risk of telling stories of, oh, well, I mean, clearly they don't know how to manage people, right? We created yeah. this story off of this response, but you could have also been seeing that maybe that was a really toxic workplace and they don't know how to talk about it yet. Yeah. And I think to your point, that would be, that is what's important when going back to the panel of like, you know, we all may have different, we all have different perceptions of what may have gone on here. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't know for sure and probably would never know unless we actually hired this person and they decided to open up about it. But Mm -hmm. yes, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So back to the traits of this ideal DEI leader, they're approachable. uh, And that would look like them being warm towards everybody. And that is defined as they go and try and have conversations with people. They're very inviting. Uh, They may have specific things that they say, like my door is always open or, you know, I'm open for anything or the proactive piece. It sounds like you also talked about would be something that you're looking for from an ideal DEI leader. What else shows up? Yes. Um, so, so from there, I would be, um, very adamant about making sure that they have a, uh, you know, they are supportive of their teammates, meaning that um, when it comes for to opportunities or, you know, um, training them up in a way that is going to get them prepared for whatever the next opportunity is within the company or outside, um, you know, being able to coach. So having those coaching aspects um, and, you uh, you know, being able to uh, lead the team in a direction of success, for sure. How would you know if you found somebody who was capable of leading a team to success? That is a great question. I think for when we talk about like the interview portion, if I'm to be really honest, you never, I've never really known in an interview if me being the person being interviewed, if the the hiring manager is going to be able to lead me to success, mm-hmm. um, I feel like there has not, I've not come across a good question to ask to gauge that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've not ever really gotten a um, a hiring manager hiring manager that's that transparent in an interview. Yeah, that's actually a great point. I love that you said that because our clients, if they were super honest, they would probably say something similar to this. And sometimes we do get to this point of, I don't know, like, I don't know how to figure out if that person would be able to do that or not. So the next step that we would walk through there is, okay, what are the specific skills necessary to move people, right? So we would go into like the change management thing. So like, let's play this out a little bit because this is something that we 100%, it comes up all the time working with our clients. So what are the specific skills needed to be able to lead a team to success? Yeah, so, I mean, my first one is problem solving. You have to be able to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Um, And also with problem solving, um, you have to be able to uh, de-escalate things um, because we know things get escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as uh, 
it's that communication piece we've talked about before. So in a sense, meaning being able to communicate with your team in a way that will make them feel psychologically safe, which we always talk about. Um, also, that makes them want to be led by you. Because mm-hmm. one thing's for certain is if the team doesn't feel safe, if they don't feel like you are a person who can communicate and is going to be present as well, then they're not going to want to follow you as a leader. Um, I think those are, you know, a couple of good ones for sure. Great. So what I heard there was ability to problem solve, uh, ability to effectively communicate with the team in the way the team needs, Mm -hmm. the ability to create safety on a team, to have open communication, and the ability to navigate conflict effectively. Oh, and delegate. Okay. And the ability to delegate effectively as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. So if you were to take each one of those skills and turn it into a question, what question might you ask to be able to determine what kind of problem solver someone is? Yes. Um, so for me, the first question that comes to mind when we talk about delegating and um, managing teams is, Tell me about a time where you were able to get a project done at a specific time uh, and meet the deadline. How did you go about uh, getting it completed? And, you know, whether that's building out a program or, you know, um, building out a program or doing the project wholeheartedly yourself. So I think that's a good question to understand if they had to delegate tasks, work across teams and um, understand how they uh, delegated all the things that need to be done to the people who needed to do it uh, mm-hmm. to then complete that task at the deadline. Great. So it sounds like that specific question gives you answers to multiple skills that you were looking for in that skill set of being able to effectively lead a team. Uh, so in that, when you have your panel, right, and you're going to get kind of long responses from the person that are all going to be different. What is it that you're looking for in the response? Yes, um, I would say it's those those things of knowing how to delegate, uh, knowing how to properly communicate what needs to be done. Um, although, like you said, it's a long answer. For me personally, I want to know that I had to reach out to employee B and let them know, like, these are the things I need. This is my expectation of this of this piece of the project. And I need it by X date. And then also that you've offered them some sort of solution if they cannot meet that deadline. Mm-hmm. So I want to know if you are you're properly delegating, you're properly communicating with them respectfully, and you've also offered them a sense of um if you can't do this, then communicate that to me so then we can figure out how to make sure either we meet the deadline or we get a little bit more uh, time. So that's what I want to gauge from uh, that. Great. So what I hear there is it sounds like you are looking for ways that this story portrayed the specific skills that you were looking for. So it sounds to me like you have your scorecard right there. You have your effectively leads a team to success. And in order to effectively lead a team to success, these are the five traits that we would be looking for in somebody's response 
to you know tell us about a time type questions and mm-hmm. then you could take those and rate those on a scale of one to ten how effectively you feel like that person demonstrated those skills through their story and the advice I always give our clients is to sorry my dogs are deciding that they want to fight right now nice. uh is scale of one to ten but you can't choose seven Mm. And you can't choose seven because you need to make a real good argument. Like, is this really a six and it's middle of the road that eh, I guess they kind of meet that skill or it's an eight and they do meet this skill. And this is somebody that we need to be taking seriously. So uh, Mm. that would be how we would actually walk somebody through honing in what it is that they're looking for in a candidate so that you could put it into a scorecard that a hiring team could actually use. Mm-hmm. So like moving back into, okay, our ideal, kind of wrapping it up here at the end, our ideal DEI leader is somebody who is passionate about DEI. Mm-hmm. They are growing in not only what they, like they bring their experience, they have experience in this, but they are actively growing. They are trying to learn more and they are an approachable person. They are somebody that people can come and talk to. They feel People feel like this person cares and is there to help them. And they are also going to effectively lead people, which looks like they can problem solve. It looks like they can delegate. It looks like they can communicate and it looks like they can navigate conflict. Uh, Is there anything else that you would say an ideal DEI leader would have? Yeah. The last thing I would say is, um, I mean, our favorite word is flexibility. So the ability to be flexible. Um, we, any leader, any person of anywhere has to understand that uh, you have to be flexible, as flexible as possible to be successful at anything um, because things always change. Um, and, uh, you know, knowing that, You've come from a place, you're coming into something completely different. Um, so you have to kind of just, it's like throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks sometimes, but flexibility is very, very key. So someone who's super flexible will will always go a long way. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel like that one would be fun to unpack even deeper, right? Because what is the line of flexible, mm-hmm. but ineffective? Cause like you yeah. can bend to all the whims of the organization, yeah. mm-hmm. but then nothing changes and your job is to change things. So be flexible. Mm-hmm. I, let's just ask that question. Be flexible in what? Great question. Um, you know, I think to answer that being flexible in a way of um, obviously of people's time, right? Like I just mentioned that if someone is, if an employee is not able to complete something, being flexible, meaning um, asking them, okay, so how can I support? When can it be done? So then we can we can move on. Um, not being flexible where people are, if someone's uh, disrespecting your time, right? So you you should always be uh, clear on these are the time frames that I have. This is what I can do. That's what I can do, and that's it. Um, being flexible in a way of um, offering, you know, different options. Like, you know, option one is you can work with person A or option two is um, we can do this for you or we can do that. You know, so 
flexible in those ways, but also putting your foot down for things that is just non-negotiable. Like, you know, knowing your non-negotiables uh, of what you will absolutely not be flexible, cannot be flexible with. And I think time sometimes is a good one um, in, a, in a manner of uh, not letting people waste uh, your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, that pretty much covers it about flexibility. Um, Oh, and then in flexibility of opinions. So uh, allowing everyone to share their thoughts um, and you taking what you will from it. Because the reality is you could take all of that and you're going to use it to lead the team into uh, whatever direction that they that seems best for the business. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. So knowing what your non-negotiables are, I think that that is the key that I took away from there. So you know what is concrete like what is set in stone and that could be any number of things not trying to put parameters around what that is but knowing very clearly what the non-negotiables are so that you can creatively solution anything outside of that right you have a very clear vision of where you're going you have an understanding of what's needed to get there but you're flexible in how right you know what what is absolutely true and you know where you're going Everything between there is flexible and negotiable is what I'm hearing. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, 100%. So like I said, this is an exercise that we do actually walk people through on a regular basis. And you can see what I helped Dana do is really get clear and concise on each of the individual thoughts that could then go be actionable. And so when people are like, well, how many questions do I ask? You ask questions until you get to the action until everybody in the room has a very clear understanding and they could go out and they could have 10 people in a room and they would all pick out the skills and the same people because the definition is so clear. Yeah, yeah, 100% I agree. And this is a great exercise. Thank you for walking me through this. I'm looking forward to hiring a great DEI leader. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, and I wanna highlight something that you said before we started recording actually, this same framework, it's used for any leader. Um, It's used for any position that you can go through the same exact process with. It's moving, your core goal here is to move from the subjective to the objective. And how do you know it's one or the other? Subjective is still up for interpretation. You have multiple perceptions of what the thing means or looks like. The objective, you now have something that is seeable, hearable, recordable, measurable. And everybody would take away the same understanding of what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're measuring, and there's agreement on those things. So you as a company can have something that you have put a measurement to that may be different than another company. That's fine. You've got to all agree on the thing though. As long as you have the definition, everybody knows the definition that's being worked from. You just got to explain what it looks like. Uh, In closing, do you have any other thoughts that you want to share with everybody? Yes, I would just say uh, before you begin to to look for a DI leader or a leader in any uh, area, get a clear understanding of what you're looking for. Um, I can tell you how many interviews I've sat in on or how many interviews I've been to where I'm just like, I don't know what they're looking for. And I don't think they know what they're looking for. Um, and that could be extremely frustrating for you, your team, your recruiting team, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to the people that you're interviewing. 
Um, I said at the top of the episode, having six interviews, and we don't have to get into that, but just understand what you want. And if that takes 10 meetings, then have those 10 meetings before you start that recruiting process, because then it'll be better for you and everyone else that's going to participate in getting this recruiting done. Um, if you have a clear understanding of what it is that you want and what you're looking for. Mm-hmm, 100%. You're also going to be more successful in who you hire and the likelihood of retaining that person because the amount yes. of clarity that they have coming into the role will be much yes. higher and yes. you'll be more successful, right? Yeah. You have clearly defined what it is that you're looking for and then you were able to actually find that in somebody. So taking Absolutely. that little bit of extra time makes a huge difference. Yep, 100%. Perfect. Well, thank you everybody for listening today. Make sure that you like, follow and subscribe, rate us, help us get this out into the world. We very much want to make a difference. You can always look for the blog articles on our website. You can follow us on all the social medias at the dash disruptors. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Our next episode is going to be a recap of this season and the 12 things that we hope that you took from each episode. So thank you so much and we'll see you soon. Bye. As the sun sets on another episode of Equity Evolution, remember that we all play a crucial role in our global ecosystem, no matter how big or small. Are you still curious about DEIB? Join us next time as we explore another question about DEIB or go on our website, thedisruptors.us for more resources. Until our paths cross again, keep questioning, growing, and advocating for the harmony of equity and belonging. If you found this episode helpful, please rate and subscribe so we can reach others who need help. Bye.